This is the country where children learn names like Wyatt Earp, Davy Crockett, and Annie Oakley. This is the place where the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth and where Texas Patriots made their last stand at the Alamo. The beautiful, beautiful Alamo. Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. Taylor, what do we have up for today? All right, so today we're going to be listening to our breakdown of Trump's State of the Union address, which has had a lot of really interesting moments you know, in it. And like most State of the Unions, he's going to be doing the classic stuff, you know, talking about big thematic appeals. He's going to be bringing kids and veterans and, you know, making a mark on, of course, his important economic promises that he feels that he has personally delivered. And in the first clip here that we're going to be listening to, um, we're going to really be hearing about basically a structure of how is it that politicians use, you know, such a, a broad based appeal to sound really inspirational and motivational. This is actually something that you can apply to many different contexts. And so I think you're really going to enjoy it, especially as we break it down. But before we get to that first clip, everyone, remember that if you really enjoy the show, remember to chip into the show. You can donate to our Patreon page for as little as $3 and really help to keep the show on the air. Buy us a cup of coffee. Allow us to continue to give you all this great content from week to week. And uh, we really appreciate your support. So on to this first clip where Trump begins his huge inspirational appeals. And let's listen to how he does this. And my fellow citizens, three years ago, we launched the great American comeback. Tonight, I stand before you to share the incredible results. Jobs are booming. Incomes are soaring. Poverty is plummeting. Crime is falling. Confidence is surging. And our country is thriving and highly respected again. America's enemies are on the run, America's fortunes are on the rise, and America's future is blazing bright. The years of economic decay are over. (laughs) 
darker days of our country being used, taken advantage of, and even scorned by other nations are long behind us. Gone to are the broken promises, jobless recoveries, tired platitudes, and constant excuses for the depletion of American wealth, power, and prestige. So here in this first clip, you can hear the cadence that Trump uses. You know, he sort of does this, you know, one thing at a time after another after another. Jobs are booming. Incomes are soaring. Poverty is plummeting. Crime is falling. Confidence is surging. And our country is thriving. And it's almost like if you were to speed it up or something or make it rhyme, it might be like Dr. Seuss. You know, what he does here is that he is, you know, uh, he nominalizes the great American comeback as this, you know, this thing that's just, you know, it, it didn't exist before. Nobody was calling anything the great American comeback. He gets on stage. He is just referring to this great American comeback as if it's something that we all should be familiar with. And then he is describing what it is by just uh, just listing off these things that, you know, he says are happening. And so, you know, he just right out the gate, he uh, it takes credit for a great American comeback and then describes exactly what it is. And so, you know, this is sort of what the theme of his speech here um, is going to be all about is him taking credit for making America great again and how, you know, he needs to be reelected to keep it great. And so it's really interesting, um, the the phrases that he uses here. Yeah, the comeback, of course, implies that it wasn't good before, but this is Trump's thing. Make America great again, okay? Implied that it wasn't before, so it's a comeback. It is, and this is what you're going to hear from his style, is that he's going to be implying it was bad before, but now it's good, okay? It was, it was bad before, which... You know, again, who was saying that it was that bad? Well, everyone who was dissatisfied with the policies, but now it's really good. And the key thing that I want for you to pay attention to here is the types of language that he's using. So when he is describing here these very highly abstracted words, these are what are called nominalizations. And a nominalization is basically when you take something that is an action, like a verb, okay, and it's basically something that is an ongoing process, and you make it into a noun, you make it into a thing. So you take something that's an action, and you take it and you name it like it's a thing. And so he has several nominalizations here, and in fact his whole speech is just littered with them, where he talks about jobs, income, poverty, crime, confidence, our country. And all of these things sound like he's describing something specific, but actually, how specific is it really? You know, when he's just saying something about poverty is plummeting, for whom is it plummeting? And what does it mean that poverty is plummeting? Incomes are soaring. Whose incomes, right? Are we talking about the, the, you know, uh, GDP? What are we talking about here? Are we talking about, you know, a person's income of the lower class or the upper class? Like, who are we talking about here? And, you know, I love this one. Confidence is surging. According, you know, according to whom does that actually surge and what does it mean for it to be surging? And, you know, much like our last episode where, you know, Buttigieg was talking about this feeling that you have inside of you and Trump is talking about how confidence is surging. 
which confidence, who has confidence. What does it mean? Well, he's not going to say all that. He's just going to tell us about the big idea and highly respected again. You know, was it not respected before? You know, do the um, Iranians, for example, respect the country now? Um, Probably not. But this is, of course, what he wants to suggest into your mind. And he continues talking about how Americans' enemies are on the run. It's like a, you know, an old gangster heist movie or, you know, a... Uh, the FBI is, you know, chasing the, you know, the uh, the railroad robbers or something like that. And then he says, America's future is blazing bright. And, you know, when I heard that, I was like, you know, there's something just about that that kind of just fills me with hope and confidence. And I don't know what it is. And so I started to think about it. Why is it that when he says a phrase like America's future is blazing bright, Is that so motivational? Well, one of the things that happens as he says that phrase is that it's kind of instructing a person to imagine their future as brighter. So you've heard the phrase, you have a bright future. Well, someone can look and imagine their own future as being bright. What does bright mean? Well, usually it means better. Okay, and this is what in neurolinguistics is called a submodality change. So if you have the major um, systems, for example, of seeing, well, we can break those into individual characteristics like brightness. So something can be bright or it can be dim. And so as he's instructing us to make the future bright, that has certain implications for how people represent their world and basically what it does to them at a feeling level. You know, when he instructs someone to make their future bright, he's saying, this is going to be your future. But it's not necessarily your future, it's America's future, which abstracts it even more, makes it even less accessible, but it also makes it so we can't argue with it, right? How do we break that down? How, how do we say that it's not blazing bright? How would you disprove that argument? But also, if he was forced to put that in specifics, what does that actually mean? And, uh, you know, he just continues with that, continues with this idea of, um, the constant excuses, right? Gone to are the broken promises, the jobless recoveries, the tired platitudes, and constant excuses for the depletion of. Notice how he's kind of doing this very complicated thing now. He was sticking to two words broken promises, jobless recoveries, tired platitudes. Now it's constant excuses for the depletion of American wealth, power, and prestige. And again, what does that mean? Well, he's saying that, you know, it's not enough that there are excuses. There are excuses for something. And now whoever it has been has been taking away your wealth, taking away your power, taking away your prestige, and he's here to save you from all of that. He's here to just, you know, rescue the day and make it so that, uh, that the world is better. And in fact, it's not even that he's going to do it. He's actually already done it, you know, according to his speech. Now, in this next clip, we're going to hear, we're going to fast forward a little bit here, and we're going to hear Trump tell us about how much of a champion he is for the underserved minorities. Let's take a listen. African-American youth unemployment has reached an all-time low. African-American poverty has declined to the lowest rate ever recorded. 
The unemployment rate for women reached the lowest level in almost 70 years. And last year, women filled 72 percent of all new jobs added. The veterans' unemployment rate dropped to a record low. The unemployment rate for disabled Americans has reached an all-time low. Workers without a high school diploma have achieved the lowest unemployment rate recorded in U.S. history. A record number of young Americans are now employed. Under the last administration, more than 10 million people were added to the food stamp rolls. Under my administration, 7 million Americans have come off food stamps and 10 million people have been lifted off of welfare. Yeah, so the thing that strikes me about Trump's speech at this moment is, you know, really him and his branding and advertising background. So if we take a look back to, you know, the previous clip there, he was using a lot of nominalizations to, you know, add names to his brand and all of that. Well, what's he doing in this section? He's really trying to sell that brand now. And how does he do that? You listen to it and it sounds almost like a television commercial from like the 80s or like, you know, a salesman somewhere. You know, it's it's all time lows, super low. We've got the lowest this and the lowest that and the highest this and the highest that, <laughs> you know, and he pauses for that dramatic effect. You, it, you almost uh, get the feeling that, you know, he's trying to sell you something there, and that's exactly what he's doing. Um, he's just is just saying these things with no real, you know, actual, you know, uh, background behind it or, or, or even adding a story to it, but rather just throwing out these, uh, these facts of highest and lowest and highest and lowest um, to sort of uh, emphasize exactly how great everything is and that you don't even need to ask any more questions. It really just speaks to President Trump's ability to step into that salesman role and uh, and and really just, you know, sell the entire economy back to the American people on live television. Yeah. And he's going to be emphasizing the economy. And of course, this is not new for presidents. You know, presidents often take credit for the economy that when it's a great economy, they want to make everyone know that that's, you know, what is happening. If the economy hasn't been so great, then they're going to talk about the improvements the reality is, of course, that presidents have very little to do with the actual economy, but he's going to take credit for it because, you know, the economy, at least the stock market, has been doing well. And so he's going to continue to emphasize, you know, really what that type of thing happens. But, you know, it's amazing how, as he's describing these economic claims, he's talking about. You know, those without a high school degree. He's talking about, you know, women's unemployment. He's talking about 
African Americans, you know, in, in their jobs. And he's really emphasizing, you know, how great he is for, you know, everyone who is part of an underserved community. And he says this thing about, you know, under the last administration, more than 10 million people were added to the food stamp rolls. Under mine, 7 million Americans have come off food stamps and 10 million people have been lifted off of welfare. So it's like, you know, as he's saying this, this is him saying, wow, you know what? I am so good for poor people. I'm really, really good. Everything that I have done has been to benefit poor people. But this was fact-checked, and they largely found that this claim was false, that, you know, unemployment is down, that's true, but wages have largely been stagnant, and income inequality is still a really, you know, big problem. And the reason that people have come off of food stamps and have been, you know, lifted off of willpower, uh, off of uh, welfare, supposedly, is because... They changed the rules, right? The Trump administration changed the eligibility criteria, especially for SNAP. This happened in December, exempting, quote, certain work-eligible adults without dependents in order to receive the actual benefits. So he's claiming it's as though, oh, well, my economic policies have been so good that it has lifted them out of this state. But the reality is less people qualified for the benefits, and he's kind of touting that as a victory. So it's just interesting to hear how his very big claims actually don't all hold water, even as he's talking about things that are very specific. But notice how, as he goes back and talks about so many specific claims, it's really hard to judge, wait, which one is true and which one might be a little bit exaggerated. And he kind of counts on this. Now, in this next clip here, we're going to be hearing Trump continue with his thematic appeals, continuing with his sense of telling us about how wonderful things are, and he's really going to be getting into education. But in the first part of this clip, he's going to be describing um, really what it's like to be in multiple places, and we're going to be hearing that core pacing message that oftentimes is used. So let's take a listen to this clip. From the pilgrims to the founders... From the soldiers at Valley Forge to the marchers at Selma, and from President Lincoln to the Reverend Martin Luther King, Americans have always rejected limits on our children's future. Members of Congress, we must never forget that the only victories that matter in Washington are victories that deliver for the American people. The people are the heart of our country. Their dreams are the soul of our country. And their love is what powers and sustains our country. We must always remember that our job is to put America first. The next step forward in building an inclusive society is making sure that every young American gets a great education and the opportunity to achieve the American dream. Yet for too long, countless American children have been trapped 
in failing government schools. To rescue these students, 18 states have created school choice in the form of opportunity scholarships. The programs are so popular that tens of thousands of students remain on a waiting list. One of those students is Janaya Davis, a fourth grader from Philadelphia. Janaya. Janaya's mom, Stephanie, is a single parent. She would do anything to give her daughter a better future. But last year, that future was put further out of reach when Pennsylvania's governor vetoed legislation to expand school choice to 50,000 children. Janaya and Stephanie are in the gallery. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here with your beautiful daughter. Thank you very much. But, Janai, I have some good news for you, because I am pleased to inform you that your long wait is over. I can proudly announce tonight that an opportunity scholarship has become available. It's going to you, and you will soon be heading to the school of your choice. Now I call on Congress to give one million American children the same opportunity Janaya has just received. Pass the Education Freedom Scholarships and Opportunities Act because no parent should be forced to send their child to a failing government school. So here at the very beginning, Trump is starting this idea of, okay, from the pilgrims to the founders to the soldiers at Valley Forge, to the marchers at Selma led by Reverend Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And as he is saying this, notice how this is a similar tactic we've talked about. This is that pacing statement tactic. And it really reminds me the way that he says this and the things that he's referencing of the Texas race. So we covered this in episode number 15. And if you remember that Beto O'Rourke was talking a lot about, you know, from East Texas to West Texas, from the panhandle to the valley. And, you know, he continued with that idea. And especially, though, Beto O'Rourke had this clip where he was talking about answering a question. Um, Maybe you saw this video where he was answering this question of this person who was asking, did Beto feel that it was disrespectful to... um, for the football players to be kneeling for the national anthem. And Beto went into, you know, he basically said, you know, no, I don't think it's disrespectful. But then he went into this very detailed um, play-by-play of all of the history of the U.S. and how, you know, all of these major freedom moments. And so if you're interested in that, we can put a link down in the show notes where you can actually go and watch that video and 
notice the similarities between that and what Trump is doing here today. So Trump is naming a bunch of core moments in the history of the U.S., which stirs up this feeling of familiarity and and truth. And then he starts to talk about the children, right? And he talks about how the children have been trapped in failing government schools. We need to rescue those students with school choice and opportunity scholarships. And basically what this is, is this is all political reframing. So he knows what policies are unpopular. So he emphasizes that people are trapped in those and trapped in the unpopular policies or, you know, trapped in the unpopular schools because, you know, of course, Trump's schools are better. You know why? Because they're private schools. And then he's using euphemisms to talk about other policies that are really only popular with Republicans, but he uses it in this very opportunity-based language, you know, school choice. And, you know, oh, well, isn't choice good? Isn't it good to have a, a choice of what school that you want to go to? And it makes it harder for people to argue with that of, you know, school choice when the reality, of course, on the ground is different, that by creating these school choices, you're doing a lot of other things. And then he goes into recognizing this mom and daughter. And this was this was a really interesting moment here. And, you know, of course, a little bit of this has to be expected. You know, as I said in the intro, it has to be expected that presidents are going to, you know, tout out the the long history and the veterans and, of course, the kids. But just look at what happened here. Right. So he recognizes the mom and the daughter and the daughter you can see is very happy to have attention on her. If you were to watch this in the video version, the mom is just beaming, just proud. She's got this smile over her face, you know, the entire time. But notice what are they actually being recognized for? Like the daughter and the mom are there. They're attending Trump's state of the union speech. What are they actually being recognized for? Are they being recognized because the daughter is such a stellar student? Trump didn't say that. Are they being recognized because somehow the the mom does something special or there's something special about the schools? No. So what are they being recognized for? Is it living in Pennsylvania? Is it being on a wait list? Is it being a Republican? You know, Trump uses this as an example to really then go after the Pennsylvania governor, you know, implying that he's against children. And he uses this daytime TV tactic of giving one person a special prize. And, you know, you've probably seen this on daytime TV shows where people will come, they'll visit the show, they'll be a member of the audience, or they will invite someone to be there. And then, you know, you hear the person's story, you get emotionally engaged in their story, you start to feel a certain way about them, and then the host announces, well, today, we're going to be giving you a prize. We're going to be giving, and you know, he gives this daughter the prize of having one of those scholarships. We're going to be giving you the prize. And as people are, are looking at that, they think, you know what, that could be me. That could be me getting that prize. And so this is random reinforcement. People are looking at that, and even though the chances are extremely rare that they would receive that prize, they look at that and they go, oh my God, like, what if I were a part of that State of the Union? What if President Trump calls me and invites me to be there where something good is going to happen? 
And so even though, you know, the mom and daughter are there beaming, you know, so wonderfully about this moment, really, you know, they're really there for themselves and their smiles are just promoting Trump's policies as he goes on to describe how no parent should be forced to send their child to a failing government school. And that's what this parent is not going to be forced to do anymore as well. So it's a little bit tricky, uh, you know, and that's the tactics. These are the tactics that he's employing. Yeah, it's really Trump's Oprah moment where he's able to, you know, say, you get to go to college and you get to go to college and you get to go to college, but only if we enact this law. And so, you know, he sort of does that there. But then also just listen to how he he uses the phrase failing government schools, failing government schools over and over again. He's not he doesn't say public school. He says government school. And so it's sort of he's he's sort of renaming this and and able to, you know, redefine and rebrand, you know, public schools as government schools as this, you know, scary, you know, concentration camp you might be sent to if you can't uh, have the school of your choice to go to. You have to go to this, you know, uh, you know, post office line, uh, lunch cafeteria, whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, it's re- it really changes the meaning of all of that. And he couches this, all of this into, you know, this is the wonderful future you could have if only you do my policy here. And uh, of course, the pilgrims knew it and the soldiers at Valley Forge. And I don't know how all that relates, but. But, uh, you know, it's just uh, a Trump able to turn this into a game show and able to, you know, reframe exactly what it means to go to a public school. And so in this next clip, we are going to hear exactly how Donald Trump wants to summarize everything he said and close out this historic State of the Union. As the world bears witness tonight, America is a land of heroes. This is a place where greatness is born where destinies are forged and where legends come to life. This is the home of Thomas Edison and Teddy Roosevelt, of many great generals, including Washington, Pershing, Patton, and MacArthur. This is the home of Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Amelia Earhart, Harriet Tubman, the Wright brothers, Neil Armstrong, and so many more. This is the country where children learn names like Wyatt Earp, Davy Crockett, and Annie Oakley. This is the place where the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth and where Texas Patriots made their last stand at the Alamo. The beautiful, beautiful Alamo. The American nation was carved out of the vast frontier by the toughest, strongest, fiercest, and most determined men and women ever to walk on the face of the earth. Our ancestors braved the unknown, tamed the wilderness, settled the Wild West, lifted millions from poverty, disease, and hunger, vanquished tyranny and fascism, ushered the world to new heights of science and medicine, laid down the railroads, dug out the canals, raised up the skyscrapers, and ladies and gentlemen, our ancestors built the most exceptional republic ever to exist in all of human history, and we are making it greater than ever before. 
This is our glorious and magnificent inheritance. We are Americans. We are pioneers. We are the pathfinders. We settled the new world. We built the modern world. And we change history forever by embracing the eternal truth that everyone is made equal by the hand of Almighty God. America is the place where anything can happen. America is the place where anyone can rise. And here, on this land, on this soil, on this continent, the most incredible dreams come true. This nation is our canvas, and this country is our masterpiece. We look at tomorrow and see unlimited frontiers just waiting to be explored. Our brightest discoveries are not yet known. Our most thrilling stories are not yet told. Our grandest journeys are not yet made. The American age, the American epic, the American adventure has only just begun. Our spirit is still young. The sun is still rising. God's grace is still shining. And my fellow Americans, the best is yet to come. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. Thank you very much. All right. So in Trump's conclusion here, we hear him going into the big story of America, telling us about America and what it means, what it is based upon, all of the history that is here. And, you know, he's describing all of these things in stark contrast to the way in which he actually talks most of the time and in stark contrast to his policies. Because, as he you know, says this thing of America is a land of heroes, you know, so what does that imply? Does that imply that everyone in, in uh, America is a hero? Well, apparently it does, unless Donald Trump has a problem with you and then you're not a hero anymore, you know, and... This is a great example of how to have a big speech because he's talking about all of these things that, you know, maybe you learned these in history class. You know, he goes into the big list of names of this is the home of this and this and that. And we learned about the names of this person and that person. It's the place where greatness is born. And, you know, we did this and we did that. And here's everything that we have have created and as he is, you know, saying all of these things, of course, um, he's really anyone who has had inside of their mind this grand vision of the American life or the American dream, different, of course, from what happens in their day to day lives. But this is the vision. OK, so he's going into this visionary place where all of a sudden you can see, well, this is what we're fighting for or this is what we're really looking to go to. So by pacing this vision and by talking about it as this is his vision, supposedly, this is the thing that he believes in, apparently, then he's kind of saying, well, I am like you. I have the same values as you. Of course, we know this is just Trump's speechwriters, but as he delivers it in that slow, steady cadence, 
You know, it really can come across like that. Yeah. And what I really like here is that he is able to, you know, just throw out all of these names of great and famous Americans. And, you know, it really starts to build that idea of grandeur. And he continues to build out that in sort of thematic ways where he, you know, is no longer talking about specifics anymore. He's just talking about how, you know, things were great before. All of these other things were great. And we are continuing this mission. We are continuing the doing the things that we can only do because we're America. Uh, and that that is, you know, that is going to make us great, greater than ever before, I think he says. And, uh, you know, it's just the, his cadence and the way that he's doing it. And, you know, the, the, the fact that these are things that every American can latch on to, and especially conservatives, the number of times that he references God um, is just, you know, a, a way for him to chunk out from the specifics that he spent his entire speech on and really get back to those thematic ideals of, you know, at the beginning, he defines all of these, you know, broad ideas. Then he gets into all the specifics of it all. And now, after he sold us on his vision for America at the beginning, and he's gotten into his details of his plans to make it even better, and now he's here back talking about why it's so important for us to actually do all of this, because, you know, this is just what America does. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting and it's, and it's fantastic and, and, uh, we'll see exactly, you know, how it can resonate with people who don't already agree with him. You know, it's just Donald Trump as the salesman, this entire speech right here. And, um, you know, different presidents have their different ways of giving the state of the union and, and this is ours. Yeah. And I think it's just so interesting how he, it's almost like there is a, there's a formula for this, right? It's like you start off with this, these big inspirational ideals and he starts to go in and, but you notice that at the beginning it was also about, you know, here's what we want, but this is also what we're kind of against. So he was mixing them in a little bit and maybe it was 80% inspiration and 20% like, you know, you don't want that negative thing in your life anymore. And then as he got into the meat of his speech, he varied between talking about how great his policies were and how, you know, negative the opposition was. And then he got into a little bit of specifics and, you know, brought in some, you know, people there that, you know, he wanted to talk about or, you know, really, you know, reference them. And then he closes it off with this, you know, good feeling. Well, What's happening here is that if you think about this, this is a a loop. So this is you started off a story, okay, and then you went and talked about something else for a while, and then you ended the same story. Well, what tends to happen is is that the more deeply embedded the kind of middle section is there, so it's like you had a story that started here and then you talked about something else, that middle section where you're talking about something else, that can allow a person's mind to just kind of take in all of that and then it kind of wraps it all around this idea of inspiration and just a very, you know, kind of thematic appeal and gives that good feeling. So this is primacy and recency. What was the first thing you heard? What was the last thing you heard? And by putting all of the inspiration at the beginning and then at the end of the speech, Trump knows that's the stuff that they're going to associate him with 
and that's what they're going to walk away with. All right, I think that's all the time we've got for today. Head on over to our website. In the top right corner, you can find a link to our Patreon page. Go ahead and contribute as much as you can, enough to keep us on the air, bringing this content to you every single week. And if you really love the show, head on over to iTunes. Be sure to rate and review us five stars. That really helps other people discover the show and get to know us as well. And you can head to our Twitter page, at SubliminalPod, to uh, hear all of our episodes, our entire back catalog, see the comments that other people have, and be sure to send us your comments, thoughts, questions, and other things um, over there as well, and through our website, SublimallyCorrect.com. And we will talk to you next week. Next week.